Hey, what's up, everybody? You're listening to the Enterprise Architecture Radio. If you're thinking about organizational complexity and agility, if you're concerned about operational efficiencies and are thinking of taking it to the next level, if managing innovation is one of your priorities, you have come to the right place. On this podcast, we talk about all of that and more. It's a jungle out there, and we will attempt to navigate this jungle of frameworks, methods, and most importantly, enterprise architecture in practice. We are approaching the end of the year. I was going to give my TOGAF 10 exam and my next episode was going to be about that. Well, I haven't given my TOGAF 10 exam, so that's going to have to wait. I did find a guest to come to my podcast and I was going to record a session with them. That hasn't happened as they're traveling. So, so I thought, what are we going to talk about today? Considering that the year is coming to an end, I thought we would do a quick recap of everything good and bad that happened in the year 2022. So I have a couple of technology trends that happened in the year 2022, and I thought I'll talk about them. Let's start with the first one. What does the word smart mean to you? Well, for a really long time, smart used to mean internet connected. So a smartphone is a phone that is connected to the internet. A smart watch is a watch that is connected to the internet. A smart refrigerator is a refrigerator that is connected to the internet and has the capability to place orders and what have you. The number of internet connected devices itself has gone up quite a bit uh, from 35 billion to 42 billion. Uh, and I don't see a a, a reduction in the number, in the increase in the number of internet connected devices. But smart no longer just means a device that is connected to the internet. It means more. Smart really means artificial intelligence. And and you'll see the 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 existence of artificial intelligence in and around you all over the place. There are a number of apps that I use for listening to music. I've got Apple Music, I've got uh, Amazon Music, um, and so on and so forth. And all of these apps somehow know what I want to listen to. It's getting easier and easier to find music that I do appreciate very much uh, on all of these apps. And it's not just music. If you look at Netflix or, or Amazon Prime, they're getting better and better at trying to understand what my mood is uh, based on the uh, time of the day, perhaps, or some amount of historical data, which has not been new. It's been old for a while now. But it's not just that. It's also probably my internet searches that they're watching and so on and so forth. But it's not just entertainment. It's not just music and television. I have an app on my phone that I use to buy lunch uh, at work. It's called Foodbook. And I've come to notice that around 12.30 to 1 o'clock, my iPhone suggests Foodbook among the most probable app that I want to open right at the top. You know, when I when I go to uh, buy food, I don't have to look for my app. It automatically suggests, you know. So depending upon the time of the day and, and what have you, I'm not really sure probably location as well. It understands the apps that I want to use. So apps are getting smarter. There's one more app that I have noticed recently that I've uh, just started using. It's called uh, chat GPT. I'm not sure if you've heard about it. 
It's OpenAI Chat GPT. Now, Chat GPT, artificial intelligence, uh, neuro linguistic programming, chatbot that was created by an organization called OpenAI. Uh, OpenAI was originally started by Elon Musk, and I don't remember the name of the person he started it with. At some point in time, uh, Elon Musk resigned from OpenAI, saying that OpenAI is doing things that he's not, he doesn't agree with. At this point in time, Microsoft is a supporter of OpenAI, and it's OpenAI that has created a chatbot called ChatGPT. And I, I just recently came across ChatGPT. I mean, there was there was a lot of uh, ruckus and a lot of, you know, it's been trending on Twitter and everywhere for a while now. So I thought, why not give it a try? And I, I did, you know, give it a try. And I was absolutely surprised. It is a chat application that helps you with some basic tasks based on learnings that's been provided to it. And by the way, it does not surf the internet. It does not have the capability to browse the internet. So if you ask it who you are, it would not be able to tell you because it will not be able to browse the internet looking for information for you. It does help you out with your you know, tasks, mostly text-based tasks, like probably uh, answering basic questions about general knowledge and what have you. But what I did notice is that it is surprisingly intuitive. It's it's very intelligent in answering your questions and and it's actually fun talking to it. Now, there's a possibility that applications such as these ChatGPT and what have you could get internet connected. It could get certain amount of control over over the physical world, um, being able to control your phone a little bit. You know, being able to create tasks for you, probably manage your your or your social media, your digital presence to a certain extent and give you a certain amount of control. And and while it will make your life a little bit easier, if you really ask me, it gets a little bit scarier as well, because there's now an intelligent uh, entity out there that has a certain amount of control. But that's not the point here, and I don't want to get philosophical here. My point is that there is quite a lot of progress that we've made in the area of artificial intelligence. The next trend that comes to mind is augmented analytics. Uh, data analytics has been around for a while and we've been creating reports and business intelligence for the leadership team and everybody else for that matter for a while now. And um, you know there have been data scientists and what have you um, that we've heard about. There have been training organizations that have been offering courses on data science and uh, et cetera. But in 2022, data science and data analytics has become augmented analytics it's now easier there are tools that make it easier for you to be able to create reports and the reports are more real time than it used to be and who knows in the future augmented analytics may be able to use immersive technologies like virtual reality and augmented reality and produce reports that are not only real time but also so realistic that you'd be able to understand and uh, take tactical and strategic decisions based on it much better. The third uh, technical trend, and I'm not going to call it a technical trend, but more a technical um, progress that we've made this year is that Ethereum, the cryptocurrency, uh, upgraded itself from a proof of work model to a proof of stake model of building consensus. Now, for those who are new to blockchain, and I'm not going to 
give you a long lecture on what blockchain is, so I'll just give you a quick overview. How blockchain works is it builds a consensus. So if one person wants to give some bitcoins to another person, then a blockchain is created that is in, or, or there is an existing blockchain that gets updated with this information that this person gave this many bitcoins or what have you to this person. And this information is shared across everyone who holds that blockchain. But there has to be a consensus. What that means is that everybody battles to solve a particular algorithm um, that essentially updates that blockchain. And whoever solves the algorithm first gets an opportunity to update the blockchain, which essentially means that he gets a certain amount of uh, Bitcoin or Ethereum or what have you, the cryptocurrency, as a reward. And everybody competes uh, to, uh, to build consensus, right? Uh, and this competition requires a lot of uh, compute a lot of uh, um, processing power. But the thing is that as the number of people who hold any particular type of blockchain, whether it's Ethereum or Bitcoin or what have you, uh, increases, as the number of users increase, the number of the amount of computing power also has to increase because they have to stay competitive because whoever uh, solves the algorithm gets Bitcoin. So, you know, so so it's not a very sustainable model. The other model is proof of stake. Proof of stake essentially means that I will stake all the Bitcoins that I have or all the Ethereum that I have, that I will make sure that this particular blockchain is authentic and a full consensus is not required. So a proof of stake model does not require a lot of people competing to solve a particular algorithm. They pick one validator, one single validator, who stakes all his Bitcoins to make sure that the blockchain is authentic. What that means is that if the validator makes a mistake in authenticating the Bitcoin or the, or the blockchain, then he may lose the, all the Bitcoins that he stakes. Now, there is a difference. Uh, one difference is that the amount of processing power required to authenticate the blockchain is less because there's only one stakeholder who stakes all of their crypto to ensure that the blockchain is authentic. The downside to it or, or the disadvantage is that the richest um, validator, the richest person who holds the maximum number of cryptocurrency gets an opportunity to validate everything, which essentially means that we lose a certain amount of consensus. But looking at the climate um, impact of Bitcoin, considering that all this processing power generates a huge amount of heat and requires cooling and requires uh, power and electricity and then and so on and so forth, I think that proof of stake is a much better model than uh, than proof of work and that more and more cryptocurrencies should opt for a proof of stake model. Another tech trend that I can think of is abstraction of technology. So. Um, no-code interfaces have become more and more prevalent uh, in 2022. Long back when the computers were invented, the only way that we could talk to these computers was using a binary language, and for that we had punch cards. And then someone thought punch cards are a really inefficient way of talking to computers. So somebody came up with an assembly language, and then somebody came up with a, a more uh, complex and yet higher level language like C or C++. And then and then virtual machines came in and common language runtimes came in and then we became language agnostic and uh, 
and, and we have better um, compilers and better interpreters and then now today we are in Python and what have you and and languages have become more and more sophisticated what that means is we've we've sort of abstracted the lower level complexities of the programming language and made them simpler for human beings to interact with computers with and these abstractions have not just been in programming languages they've also been in all other technologies earlier we used to have data centers and and putting up a new server used to require us to procure a new hardware and then rack and stack them and connect them with the existing network and so on and so forth but now we've got public cloud right and public cloud does that for us and everything is virtualized and we have a virtualized infrastructure and 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 we can provision a server with a click of a button within a few minutes and these no code interfaces have become more and more prevalent what that means is uh, less technical knowledge is required for us to be able to perform innovation and that is one of the very important things to be able to do innovation to be able to come up with newer ideas or implement newer ideas the lower level logistics of taking care of the the core technology and the and the plumbing underneath should be as simple as possible that's the only way that we can really focus on innovation and that has been one more trend in 2022 but it's not just the good things that have happened in 2022 we've also had failures if you look at it and the biggest failure that comes to mind is Elon Musk taking over Twitter for $44 billion or so. And the story is absolutely beautiful. In January, Musk quietly started buying Twitter shares. In March, Elon Musk criticized Twitter for failing to adhere to free speech principle, which, by the way, has taken a turn around now. In April, Elon Musk reveals that he has acquired 9.2% of Twitter stakes and gets appointed to its board of directors, which, by the way, he declines. But in the same month, he launches a hostile takeover bid of Twitter. So Twitter launches a bid to block Musk from acquiring control. This move is called the poison pill defense. It dilutes Musk's share, which theoretically would delay or make it too costly for Elon Musk to acquire enough shares to control Twitter. But Elon Musk announces that he has secured $46.5 billion in financing to buy Twitter. So Twitter stops defending against Musk's hostile bid and formally announces that it has accepted Musk's offer. The deal locks Elon Musk in, uh, stipulating that uh, he, he will have to pay a penalty of $1 billion if he walks away. And it's a, it's a very interesting story. So then uh, Musk pauses the deal and he complains that Twitter has too many spam accounts or bots or what have you. And Twitter shareholder William Harrisniak sues Musk for wrongful conduct, uh, false statements and market manipulation. In July, Elon Musk complains Twitter is um, in material breach of multiple provisions for their mutual agreement. He cancels the deal to buy Twitter. So he initiates to buy Twitter and then he himself cancels the deal to buy Twitter. Uh, Twitter sues Musk in Delaware, where it is incorporated, and asks the court to force Elon Musk to conclude the deal uh, on the terms that were originally agreed upon. Uh, the court expedites the case. Musk countersues Twitter, accusing the company of fraud over bot numbers. In September, the Delaware court releases personal text messages uh, relevant to the Twitter case between Musk and his friends and Twitter executives and 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 Elon Musk offers to buy Twitter again. 
Elon Musk asks the Delaware court to postpone the Twitter case. The court gives them, I mean, gives both the parties a deadline of October 28, uh, 5 p.m. to seal the deal. Ultimately, in October, uh, Elon Musk and Twitter seal the deal. Musk walks to Twitter offices while carrying a sink, uh, a big sink. He wants to tell the people that, you know, Elon Musk is now the owner of Twitter. So let it sink in. And, and that's why he carries a sink. And he changes his Twitter bio to Chief Twit. <laughs> After And then he goes ahead on a firing spree and he fires most of the Twitter executive team. Uh, Musk dissolves the entire Twitter board and makes himself the sole director and the CEO. Musk believes that he could have bought Twitter at as low as $5 billion. He's overpaid by $40 billion. So approximately he bought it at $45 billion. He says he could have bought it at five. So it's a huge uh, fiasco. And this entire thing could have been managed in a much better way. I think there's a lot of ego and I don't know what at play. Um, It's surprising that a, a professional, a businessman like Elon Musk, who was able to pull off Tesla, he was able to pull off SpaceX, made such a big ruckus about Twitter. All right. That was the first fail. Uh, The second fail that I think was Google Stadia, which, by the way, failed. Google Stadia is a cloud-based gaming platform that Google has that lets you play your favorite video games instantly across compatible TVs, computers, and mobile devices with no waiting to download times is what uh, Google says, right? But in October 2022, Google announced that it would shut down its Stadia cloud gaming service and refund all players for all Google and Stadia store hardware content and add-on purchases. So basically, they're closing down Google Stadia. Now, why did this happen? Well, there were a number of technical problems and input delays, and 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 the basic requirement of Stadia was to have a very high-speed internet connectivity. Uh, there was also the business model was also not very good. Uh, it, they expected that the developers would get paid only based on the number of hours that the games were played and not really based on the number of times the game was booted. And and, and Google would reap 30% of the revenue, which created very, very bad uh, branding. There was also bad press because there was some amount of tweeting that was done where where someone said that the streamers, uh, game streamers, should be paying Google. And then there were 17,000 replies and 19,000 quote retweets. And, and it was just very bad branding for uh, for Stadia. And then there were some real quality issues as well. Uh, when when Stadia was launched and Google didn't address them, they just stayed quiet, thought things would just you know die down, but they never did. And and when they did respond, it was just not sufficient. And and overall, Google didn't have a very good image. They've launched so many so many products and then they've shut them down. That could have been another reason why um, Stadia crashed and, and failed essentially. And obviously, another fail that happened in 2022 that can absolutely not be ignored was the downfall of crypto, the crash of crypto, right? So why did it happen? Well, it started with the downfall of FTX. FTX was, for those who don't know, is the is a crypto exchange, right, uh, which is used by people who trade in cryptocurrency for buying and selling crypto. It's one of the very popular crypto exchanges. FTX filed for bankruptcy, and Mr. Ray, the new chief of FTX, described uh, numerous corporate missteps, including the use of software to conceal the misuse of customer funds. Mr. Ray also said that in the filing, he could not trust the financial statements assembled 
under Mr. Bankman Fried's leadership. And Bankman Fried's, by the way, is the original creator. Now, there's another uh, currency exchange called Binance that that wanted to intervene and bail out FTX with the caveat that they could pull out from the deal anytime they wanted, which, by the way, they did later. They realized during their corporate due diligence uh, that there are many regulatory investigations going on and, the, and, and there are reports of mishandled funds and so on. So because of that, when they bailed out, FTX filed for bankruptcy. The entire conflict dropped the exchange and in turn, most of the cryptos continue to fall. Um, it affected all the cryptocurrencies, uh, Luna Crypto, Bitcoin, Ethereum, and so on and so forth, and, and essentially it dropped. But but it's not just the FTX exchange failure. I mean, overall, if you look at it since the pandemic, we've, we've seen record high inflections in almost all parts of the world. Interest rates have been rising, living costs have been rising, inflation has been soaring, and, and in general, even big investors are less free with their money. And many ordinary investors uh, don't have money, obviously. And when there are such market manipulations and speculations and what have you, people have a general tendency to pull out their investments, book their profits and losses, and stay liquid. This essentially pushes the market down further. So, so well, we had Stadia, we had Elon Musk, we had the crypto crash. We also had Meta in 2022. In the second quarter, the company plunged 46% to $5.6 billion from operations against $10.4 billion in quarter three, almost half of what it was before. Competition has been tough. There have been many high-profile scandals within the organization. There have been many cases where employees have been opposing the company's working practices. But most importantly, I think it's their product vision. Facebook became meta platforms in 2021 to establish its commitment to build the virtual world or, or the augmented reality world called the metaverse to connect all its products however if you think about it and i have been thinking about it for a while and i'm not very clear as to how it will change the life of a normal facebook visitor not just that i can't think of any practical uses of a metaverse even in the corporate world Virtual meetings, product demos, building walkthroughs, really. I mean, sure, it is uh, slightly better, but uh, is it worth the investment and effort on the dedicated devices and the environment? Reminds me of the big Microsoft Surface table, if you remember. There used to be this big Microsoft table, uh, which was touchscreen and such, and, and I don't know where it is now. I think it didn't really do that well. We saw it in a few science fiction movies, but I don't know if there's any practical applications of it. And I think it's just the same here. I mean, the metaverse, I don't know. Uh, I'm still hopeful, though. I think there is potential uh, because if you really think about it, Microsoft Surface Tables, well, changed into the Surface Tablet. I think it's the same thing, just that the Microsoft Surface Pro that we see now is just a more compact, portable, and efficient form factor of the original Surface Tablet. Uh, maybe there will be a version of the metaverse that that we haven't envisioned yet, a version that will be more compact, efficient, and practical for the everyday person. After all, Facebook originally was for the everyday person. That's how it became popular. So they better make the metaverse interesting for the everyday person. The only possible practical use that I see of the metaverse is gaming. And yes, that is a big market. There are um, large number of gamers who are willing to spend quite a lot of money on devices and the environment to get that immersive 
uh, augmented experience. So that's been 2022, and it's been a long episode today. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, then share it with a friend. And if you did not, well, what the hell, share it with a friend anyway. That's all I have for you today, folks. I hope you enjoyed the show. More about organizational agility, innovation, and enterprise architecture in the practical world, in the business, right here on the show. But before I end the show, I want you to help me out with this one little thing. Pause the show and share this podcast via WhatsApp or a text message with just one person who might be interested in these topics. It could be anyone, your colleague, your boss, someone in your team. That's all I want. Just one share with one message via text or WhatsApp or what have you. And it would go a long way in supporting us and growing our listener base. Also, please don't forget to follow the podcast. That way, you'll get notified when we publish a new episode. If you want to find out more about us, you can visit us at enterprisearchitectureradio.com. If you have ideas, thoughts, disagreements, please feel free to write to me directly. We also have a Telegram group if you'd like to contribute to the EA discussions or whatever. Uh, just search for Enterprise Architecture Radio on Telegram. Or the URL to join the group is https colon slash slash t.me slash enterprise architecture radio. While our contact details are there in the show notes, it's very easy to find us really. Uh, just search for Enterprise Architecture Radio anywhere. Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, YouTube, Clubhouse, anywhere. And you'll find a way to get in touch with us. Once again, I hope you had fun and I'll see you in the next one.